Scripture speaks of God's great love for us. It also speaks of uh, the love that we're supposed to have for each other. Somewhere along the line, we tend to forget. Some time ago, I had uh, uh, an individual speaking to me about how that we're to love God and to love each other. And I've been of the opinion through the years that if you read the Word, then that's an understood fact that we are to love God, for He said that in the very beginning. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But Jesus added to it and said, Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So I came up with a slogan that kind of fits the equation. We should love God and tolerate people. Anybody ever been to that place where you had to tolerate? Oh, you know, you know the word says to love them. But we find ourselves tolerating. Sometimes in the process we can get stretched very thin. The Word of God tells us the attitude we should have toward the sinner. What I just spoke, incidentally, was tongue-in-cheek. I want you all to understand that. I'm just funning with you. Because I know very well that the Word of God tells us that we are to love people. We're supposed to. But what we discover is the love displayed that we should have should be not only to one another, but should be also to the sinner. You remember a time when I stood before you and I said, I'm believing for the day when the doors swing open and people begin to come in from all walks of life. When they come in, they're going to come in hurt. They're going to come in troubled. They're going to come in grieving. They're going to come in angry. All kinds of emotions. Fact is, when they come in, some are going to look good, some are not. Some are going to smell good, some are not. But we have a commission to love them regardless. I want to share that with you this morning. Out of the book of John, chapter 8, we're going to be reading verse 1 through 12. As we get into this passage, you're going to find it's a familiar passage. You've, you've heard it. You've read it. You've heard it preached on. You've heard it taught on. Maybe someone, or maybe you've done it yourself, dissected this particular story and, and, and asked the question, God, what are you saying to me? I'm going to share some things that the Lord has laid on my heart this week. 
The word says in John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and in early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Can you imagine what kind of lessons they were learning? And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, can you just see it? This woman was taken in adultery. I see I see Stephen Ray Rowland making this statement. This woman was taken in adultery. You go back in a few years ago to the drama that we presented in this church many, many years running over Easter. You, you get the drift what I'm talking about. She was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Incidentally, that's in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 if you want to look it up. But Jesus, what do you say? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And so they went, when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, she's standing there by Jesus. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Hath no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Somebody needs to hear that. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stop what you've been doing. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Once again, as I share this story, I know it's familiar to everyone. But I think it's important that we see the truth here. This woman's guilt was not a question. 
she was obviously very guilty. Guilty as charged. And by rule of the law, what the scribes and the Pharisees were prescribing for her could have been justifiably carried out. We need to see that. I said she was guilty as charged. The issue here was the manner in which the religious community was handling her issue. Let me say to you today, church, you and I are placed in a position where we have opportunity to forgive. And could I just remind you today that there will come a time in your life that before you can present unto an individual that's broken, before you can present unto them the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for their sins, you will be called upon to present them your own forgiveness. You'll be placed in a position where you have opportunity to bring something to an individual who is obviously, as this woman was, truly guilty of an offense. Maybe toward you, maybe toward someone that you love. Most of us have been guilty of making that statement, you know, of saying, well, you, you can say what you want about me, but, but you, better, you better leave my, my family alone. And let me just say to you, if you've been guilty of doing that, you might as well turn to old Lucifer and say, sick him. Go get him. Because you're opening a door to an area of conflict in your life. I will assure you, somebody you love will be falsely accused. Somebody you love, somebody you care about will be hurt by another. And you'll be in a place where forgiveness becomes optional. And it shouldn't be. One of the, the great lessons I've, I've tried to teach my children, and, and I, I would like to say that I've always reacted in the proper manner on this subject. I tried to, I've tried to, and, and, and uh, for the most part I have, but I will tell you at every juncture of my life I see failure. What I've tried to teach them is that we must look at every situation in life and consider the opportunity for the greater good. In other words, there are times that we must trust God and we speak love and we exhibit love and we offer love even in times when doing so is very painful to us because Jesus teaches us that that's what we're to do so we look at that word somewhat boldly and say well I'm supposed to love everybody well when we look at the people that we're acquainted with 
That's not a big stretch. Here in small town America, let's be honest, we, we have a lot of friends here. Most of us do. Very few enemies do we have. I remember uh, praying recently and <coughs> asking God to show me, Lord, if there's, if there's anyone that I have out against, Lord, would you reveal it to me? Because I want to go to that person and make it right. And I can say this truthfully. I, 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 don't, I don't know of anyone that I have animosity in my heart toward. Now, I'm not saying that there's some people that I don't like as much as others. Hello? But as far as animosity, it's not there. There are some people that are more likable than others. I mean, you, could, you can go to my house and, 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 and you could come in and, and, and visit with me and Sister Janelle and, and, and you're probably going to say, boy, I sure like Brother Rick, but... You know? That woman, you know, I have to, I have to stretch a little bit sometimes. Now we say that tongue in cheek, but but you understand the illustration I'm I'm trying to put across. There there are times that that it's convenient for us to like certain people, and then there are times that we're stretched because we don't forget transgression. Ironically, we want people to forget our transgression, but we hold on to the transgression that was committed against us. Do you notice, as I said earlier, the woman that was brought to Jesus, her guilt was not a question. Jesus never questioned the guilt. Maybe maybe it was the way she was dressed. Maybe it was due to her reputation that had preceded her. Because naturally we assume she must have been a woman of ill repute. But on the other hand, maybe she was, was a woman who had one indiscretion in her life. And that one indiscretion jumped up and bit her on the posterior. I want you to think about that for a minute. Maybe she was someone that, that, that had lived a model lifestyle and made one indiscretion and, and, and got caught. Maybe she did as many today fall into the trap. Well, well he told me he loved me. Hello? I thought that was the man I was going to marry. I was intending to spend the rest of my life with him. See, we're not, we're not told the details. We just naturally assume that this woman was a woman of the night. And her sin was very obvious because she was caught, the Bible says, in the very act. Now, my question is twofold here. What were... What were the religious ones. I'm talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, the one who, who professed to be righteous, the one who professed to know everything about the, the, the first five books of the Bible. They knew what the Word said. They knew what the law said. What were they doing in a position to observe what they observed? Let 
They should have been in the house of God. They should have been taking care of the things of God rather than trying to be watchdogs over, over people who had fallen into transgression. Let me say to you today, church, our important issue that you and I deal with every single day is setting a standard for righteousness and living up to that standard without being judgmental. This woman was brought to Jesus with a twofold intent. Number one, to bring her to open shame and ultimate punishment. She was not brought confidentially to Jesus. No one called Jesus aside and said, Jesus, we need to talk to you. This woman was caught in, in this particular compromising situation. And, and we don't want everybody to know about it, but, but, but we want to know what you say, what you think we ought to be doing here. No, no, they brought her with the intent of public humiliation. And I just want you to know something today, friend. When, when, when people fall into to, to sin, whatever it might be, when they begin to practice things and, and begin to become involved in things that they know better than be involved in, I will say to you without one hesitation, you can just bank on what I'm telling you. The end result will be public humiliation. It might be a while. You might be able to hide it for a while, and, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. You, 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 might, you might think that no one else is seeing, that no one else is paying attention, but here's what I want you to get a hold of, friend. Your sin will never stay hidden. Be you sure your sin will find you out. The second thing these people intended to do was to discredit the authority of Jesus. So it was important that they come at a moment when Jesus is in the temple, at a moment when Jesus is teaching the people, and you have to know today that when Jesus was teaching them, he was teaching them truth of God's Word. So the enemies of Jesus, the religious people, came to discredit Now the reality was this, she was supposed to die for her sin. The Bible tells us plainly, because of sin, death passed upon all men. I preached that to you just a few weeks ago. But the technicality is this, not only was she supposed to die for her sin, so was her partner in crime. You ever wonder why he's never mentioned? I know some of you ladies have, have read that story and you, you've questioned that. Why, why is it that, that the scribes and the Pharisees never mentioned it? If, if she was caught in the very act, as they claim, there should have been two individuals involved. Nothing said about him. And I've heard many preachers preach and teach on this and they've said, maybe that's why Jesus wrote in the sand. Maybe he was writing names. But I begin to read this story, what occurred to me first and foremost is that society today 
ought to be glad that we're not living under Levitical or Mosaic law. Because if capital punishment was still being rendered to those who, could, who, who had committed sinful acts against their physical body with someone else, there'd be a lot less people walking around on this planet today. Hello? I'm just telling you the truth. It's become accepted behavior. It's become promoted behavior. It's become accepted in the sense that, that, that no one anymore is, is, is bold enough to stand and say, this is right and this is wrong and, and, and we're responsible for doing right. I know immediately when the preacher begins to preach on such as this, uh, people begin to squirm and, and, and they begin to feel that, 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 that something has is, 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 is been known or told about them and that's not the case at all. I'm going to give you the illustration here in a moment why I'm preaching down this line. Here's what I thank God for. That is the fact that he gave his best gift. His son Jesus went to Calvary's cross and bought and paid for the grace and the forgiveness that you and I are offered. Are you happy about that? You ought to be. You might never have committed uh, adultery in the physical sense, but how many times, church, have we committed spiritual adultery against God? We've robbed from Him. We've stolen from Him. We've, 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 we've uh, uh, turned away from what we've known to do as right and proper. We, we've forsaken His house and forsaken His commandments and, and forsaken His will for our life, following after our own. And, and, and how many times has He knocked on our heart's door and said, You know what? I, I love you anyway. This woman alone was brought to Jesus and she was brought there by the religious folks. We would say today the church. They came in and they interrupted the teaching that Jesus was offering. And what occurred to me is religious folks, I'm talking about folks with a religious spirit, they tend to feel like that their opinion matters more than anyone else's their issues more important and I don't know what Jesus was teaching I know it had to be good but whatever it was they come in and they interrupt and they throw this woman down on the, on the ground in front of him and say there she is the law says and I want to tell you something friend Jesus Christ knew everything about the law he was there when his father in heaven gave the law he was there before Moses was so that wasn't a question he knew what the law said but he recognized that the church I'm talking about religious people are continually looking to justify their beliefs and why they do what they do And here they're looking for bloodshed. They're probably the ones that when this woman would walk by, they would see her on the street and probably probably would turn and look the other way. 
disgustfully saying, Ew, there she is. They knew the law. But they didn't have a clue about compassion. Church herein is the importance of loving people. You say you love them and yet you have no compassion toward them. You lie and you don't tell the truth. See, the church loathed the sin. But the big mistake they made was they failed to love the one who committed the sin. We should love people to the extent, listen to me carefully, that we would not desire our worst enemy on earth to die lost and unprepared to meet God. I thought about that. I thought about people like Adolf Hitler. Single-handedly responsible for killing tens of millions of people, six and a half million Jewish, incidentally. Yes, Virginia, the Holocaust did in fact happen. One day he will stand before God. He's yet to do it. Though he knows his date with destiny set, he knows the manner in which he died. But if he didn't ask Jesus Christ to forgive him of his great sin, I'm telling you, friend, he will stand before God and he will give account for every single life that he took. Every order he gave in the hierarchy of the government, he'll stand accountable. I shared with an individual I'd called this week that was dealing with with some troublesome issues in their life. They don't attend this church. They were going through a very difficult time in their life, and, and I felt compelled to call. And in the course of, of, of speaking to this person, I, I had to say some things to, to that individual that, that he did not agree with. And I could tell by his response back to me that that he didn't agree. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're speaking what you feel is a direction from above, that God has given you a word for them and and you give them that word that God gives you and you hear essentially in the conversation, uh, I'm hearing what you're saying, but it don't make any difference. Hello? And that in the course of that conversation was the vibe I was getting back. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for the instruction. But, you know, I kind of have my mind made up already. And I remember telling this individual, I have to tell you. Because I will stand before God and give account for whether or not I've told you and for what I have told you. And I hope you understand that. He said, I do. Even then, that word was delivered in love. 
And that individual knew it. As I shared with him before I hung up the phone after a lengthy conversation, I want you to know I love you. And he said, I know you do. Jesus addressed the religious leaders even to a greater degree by a writing that Matthew recorded. It's found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Speaking unto some of the same people, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you pay your tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. You know what he said they were? Judgment, mercy, and faith. They knew the judgment part. They might have even known the faith part, but they were struggling with mercy. Jesus said, these ought you to have done, not to leave the other undone. How many times in our lives, friend, have we tried to excuse our attitudes because we did something good over here? You ever heard the old cliche that two wrongs don't make a right? Hello? Are we showing mercy to transgressors? Are we today, Eastwood, are we showing mercy to transgressors? Does every one of us probably at some point have a jerk in our life? I know some of you do. You have someone that you didn't ask to be associated with. They, they just maybe came with a package. Maybe somebody you love married into that. Hmm? And you get what you get. few nights ago I had a dream and I, I don't I don't dream a lot it seems like lately more than usual and in this dream our church was gathered I remember we were around the altar area and for whatever reason I was not involved with the with the praying I was doing the I was doing the the, the pastor thing you know I was kind of watching and there was an individual it was I know it was a a, a man that the church had gathered around and they were praying over. But I saw there was, in, in, in my dream, I saw there was a struggle going on and, and this man kept trying to get to his feet. But he was trying to get to his feet for a purpose. He was wanting to walk out. And the people had gathered around and I'm telling you folk were, were truly, truly praying. The presence of God was evident and to the, to the extent I saw, I saw spiritual manifestations on some of our people. I could, I could name your name. Some of you are in this auditorium 
this morning and you were in the process of, of, of helping to pray for this person, I could see that the, the Holy Ghost come on that issue in waves. And I could see, I could see some of you jerking under the presence of God. It, it, it was a powerful, powerful move of God. Yet this man seemed to be unfazed by it all. In my dream, he kept trying to rise. He kept trying to get away. And people were, were holding on to him and continuing to pray. And it seemed like the more they prayed, the harder he got. He was very obviously offended. He was very obviously cold and indifferent. He was, he was unmoved by the prayers. He was trying to get out the door. And I watched from a distance with this understanding that if that man walks out of this place, he's not coming back. And maybe that was the desperation among our people that they were sensing. I woke up from that dream and my spirit was troubled. Have you ever had those? I'm talking about a, a, a dream and, and sometimes they're very graphic. Sometimes they're very simplistic, but, but they stay with you. And that was, that was one. I knew there was a spiritual purpose behind this dream. What became obvious, and I knew in my heart as I watched this individual, I knew that he had been offended. And that was the reason he was trying to get out the door. And why was he offended? Because someone had said something. Someone had disclosed his transgression and had done it innocently. Was it anything malicious? And here's what God began to speak to my heart. Tell the church to use wisdom with their love. Sometimes wisdom says, as I shared with you earlier, sometimes it says that we have to consider greater good. Sometimes it says, church, that we have to look at a bigger picture. I had an issue a number of years ago. It's been, been over 20 years ago now. But, but, but an individual came to me and, and said, Brother Rick, something needs to be done. There was an issue going on in a, in a family. And, and, and the people that approached me, it was, it was a couple of board members at that time. And, and, and they, they're, incidentally, they're no longer with us. The board members aren't. But they wondered why I didn't drop the hammer on this issue. Number one, because that individual in question was a work in progress. There were things going on. I'm talking about positive things going on in their life that, that these, these other people were not aware of. But, but, but they, for whatever reason, the, the, the detractors were looking and said, Brother Rick, you, you just need to tell them, get on down the road. First of all, let me say to you, friend, it's not my call to put people down the road. My call is to bring them to the cross. Hello? It's to bring them face to face with Jesus. And here's what I want you to get out of this story. When, when, when Jesus is present, when the sinner is put at the feet of Jesus, things happen. 
This woman was going to die by stoning. They could have easily taken her outside the walls of Jerusalem and, and, and quoted, quoted Leviticus 20, chapter, chapter 20, verse 20, and, and cast the stones. But instead, they brought her to Jesus. Thank God. Because when she found her way to Jesus, she found forgiveness. When she found her way to Jesus, she found restoration. These people came to me and said, Brother Rick, you need to do something about this issue. I began to try to teach them about the greater good. I said, you, you have to understand that individual has children attached. You know what? Their souls matter too. Hello? I'm not talking about allowing something to go on in the church that was, was sinful or inappropriate. I'm talking about somebody that had come into the church that had absolutely no prior spiritual background and they, my friend, were a work in progress. Can I say to you, the religious community needs to give God room to do a progressive work in someone's life. See, I was very blessed growing up. I, uh, my daddy didn't come to the Lord until, until I was two or three years old. And I was told that, uh, that I had learned to cuss from him. Couldn't put too many sentences together, but I could cuss. One day I cussed publicly and embarrassed him, and he going to bust my little, little, little white-headed hiney. And my mama stepped in and said, you're not going to whip him when you do it in front of him. Now that started a whole nother issue. They had, they had some words, you know, how that goes. And, and ultimately, over the space of the next few weeks, he found his way to the church and left mad and offended and hurt because somebody talked about him from the pulpit and made fun of him. Next time he comes to church, he gives his heart to God. So I had the privilege from that point on to be brought up in a Christian home. I was blessed with a Christian heritage. Simple as it may be, being in, in a little country church, I, I had, to, had old country boys and girls stand up and teach me very simple Bible lessons to the best of their ability, and God took the best of their ability and, 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 and planted a seed in me. And He's doing it in you today because the same thing's happening. I stand in front of you today realizing I understand I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. But God can take a little and put His kiss on it and make it a lot when people are hungry. You need to understand that today, friend. God can use any one of us if we do what we do for Him out of love and sincere compassion for people. The Bible tells me in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes you, that includes me. So what I'm saying is none of us have the right to point a self-righteous finger at anyone. We can't Indulge in the liberty of, of throwing someone at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, this one should be judged. 
Because the truth of the matter, we should be throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Everybody knows John chapter 3, verse 16. We know what the Word says there. Everybody that I know of has committed that, that particular passage to memory. But I would, I would say to you, you need to go a little further and take verse 17 and commit it to memory as well. You know what it says? For God didn't send His Son to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation, though He, the righteous one, could. He chose not to. And He chose to love us to the Father. Do you think He expects any less out of you and I? I said it a moment ago, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, we've all experienced the love that God extended to us through the giving of His own Son. To be the one that makes us right in His sight. To become the propitiation, to become the substitute for us, to make us acceptable in God's sight. The prophet said, all of my righteousness is as filthy rags. When God looks at us, He doesn't see righteousness. But i tell you what He does see. He sees grace. Thank God for His mercy. Paul said it this way. He said, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what that says? God's given the measure of faith to everyone. God's given the ability to believe and to trust Him to everyone. And He hasn't given me any more than He's given you. He hasn't given you any more than He's given me. But He's given us a starting point. I want to say again, church, when we love people as we should, when we do what Jesus tells us to do to express our love through action to people, we're not condemning, but we're loving. Now, true, there are some that make it easier, more convenient for us to express love. Some will laugh. Some will vilify. I was going through some of my old records. I was cleaning out uh, one of the, 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 the file drawers in, in, in my office this week. And I ran across uh, a couple of pamphlets. Uh, one was addressed to Janelle and one was addressed to me. And this individual, he was one of the local characters in our community from years past. 
Barry Collis name. Many of you would know who I'm talking about. He's He's gone on to be with the Lord now. He's no longer with us. But, but he was involved in a particular church in this community. And in this particular pamphlet, he, he, he addressed to us, number one, he, he did not understand what really we believed. So he associated us with maybe a more extremist group of Pentecostal believers. But he put our name on it and, and he made sure to emphasize circling the places in that pamphlet that, that let us know we were in doctrinal error. For instance, one of the places that his church believed and he felt like that we ought to believe is, is when the Apostle Philip died, miracles ceased. Ain't no more miracles. No more, no more divine moves of God in the miraculous. Some of you need to say, I know what God did in me was a miracle. Of course, naturally, he emphasized the speaking in tongues part, and, and, and everybody seems to be critical of that. They want to they come down on anything. Number one, if they don't possess it or if they don't understand it, they're critical of it. And I think, my Lord, why don't they see because we get enough criticism from the world. We don't need churches playing dog pile on the rabbit. And usually, people like you and I are the rabbit. Fortunately, I knew this man. I knew that he was sincere. Though he was in error, he was sincere. And uh, I loved him anyway. And for 35 years, I've kept that little template that he anonymously left with mine and one with my name, one with Janelle's name where we would be sure and find it. I ask you, Christian, what is your attitude towards sinner folks? We need to be reminded on occasion that sin is what sinners do. Why would we hold them to our standard in the decision-making process of life when they have not made the decision to trust Jesus to begin with? That's just true. What we do is we try out of love to bring them to a place in their life where we can put them, lovingly put them, I might add, at the feet of Jesus where they can find forgiveness. This illustration of this woman caught in the act of adultery would represent every single one of us. We have sin evident in our life. Some of it known, some of it, some of it caught in the very act, some of it unknown that nobody uh, but, but us and Jesus knows about and we want to keep it that way until we get to glory. 
And could I say to you today, except God inspire you, there is no reason for you sharing with the world the things that you've done in your life unless God inspires it. Okay? Now, there'll come a time, and I, I tell most folks this. Uh, when, when I've talked to them personally and privately, I've said to them, be ready, because if God has saved you out of something big, the time will more than likely come when He will place you in front of somebody in confidentiality that you will share with them. That's where I've been too. Some of you, it's no secret. Some of you have gone through the process. Some of you have paid your dues. You've, 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 you've spent time in jail. You've, you've gone through drug court or, 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 or any manner of, of, of the legal system. And, and, and it's been very public and, 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 and your name has already appeared in the local newspaper. So you're not hiding it. But I tell those people such as that that there is a place, friend. You can, you can find yourself in a position where you speak with somebody. And maybe, maybe that somebody's going to do what the scribes and the Pharisees did concerning this woman. They're going to say, look, she, she was caught in the act. Maybe, maybe they're going to say that to you. Look at him. This whole community knows what he's done. Best thing you could do, friend, listen to me, is own it. That is what I what I did. That, that is what I was. But it's not who I am now. Hello? Let me just say to you, your past can be a springboard, so to speak, concerning your witness. Because there are many in this community, much like this woman, that have been caught in the very act and, and they're in a hopeless situation. Let me say to you, the church's position is that we are not judgmental toward them. We're merciful. That doesn't mean we will never preach against sin. No, 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 no. We, we're going to preach the Word of God and, and let the chips fall where they may. But, but may I say it to you today, even as we preach the Word, may it be preached in love. Here's the deal. If we bring people to Jesus, He will take it from there. God spoke a word to my heart. It's been, been, been a couple of years ago now, and I, I, I didn't understand it per se at the time, but it was in a time when I was really troubled, in a time that I was really burdened. It was in a time when, when I, I was struggling with, with people making decisions that, that, that were not good decisions, and there was nothing that I could do about it. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, and He said, Son, you take too much on yourself. It's not your job to save people. And I had one of them old me moments, one of them ouch experiences when I had to say, Lord, I have. I'm, I'm guilty. 
when you when you live your life trying to be a fixer some of you are there you understand what I'm talking about you're trying to fix people and things and relationships and situations and and and, and the more you try the, the, the worse it gets And maybe that was the other meaning of the dream that I had as people were gathered around. The presence of God was strong. But the fact of the matter is we couldn't will people to make the right choice. Couldn't will that person. And we can't will people out on the street. But what we can do is offer them opportunity and trust that God would deal with their heart as time progresses I've had people walk up to me and I, I, I just share this with you people that, that quite honestly I never had the opportunity to pastor but they've walked up to me and they've said I remember something I was in church with you one time or I, I was talking to you uh, at one time and, and I remember something you said to me and it's never left me And I'm thought I'm glad it didn't leave you because I can't remember a conversation I had yesterday. That's just true. One individual came to me one time and said, Brother Rick, God spoke to my heart and said I was supposed to be at Eastwood. I said, Praise the Lord. I said, That's good. And she said, Here's the deal. I should have done it two years ago. She said, how I knew. She said, God spoke to my heart. I said, really? She said, you remember when you did a funeral? I said, well, I've done a few through the years. <laughs> she called this lady's name. Quite honestly, I could not remember the lady whom I had preached the funeral for. She said, do you remember what you preached? I said, I have no idea. She said, I do. She said, it was very unconventional. It, it didn't sound like any funeral message I'd ever preached. I said, well, that doesn't surprise me. She said, God spoke to my heart and said, this is what you're supposed to be. I don't say that to glorify myself or, or this church or anybody else. I, I say that simply to say, we don't know where God's going to take a word that we speak and bring it to fruition down the road. We take too much on ourselves when our calling is to love people. Not to bring them to judgment. Here's what you got to understand, friend. Had that woman that was brought to Jesus that day, have, had she been stoned to death, if Jesus would have consented to, to her demise, if he had said, go ahead, throw all the rocks you want to throw, they would have thrown stones until her body was covered. And that would have been the memorial to her transgression. That heap of stones that her dead, rotting body would have lain under. more than that she would have died without God lost, undone and she would have went to hell 
Jesus offered forgiveness. And because Jesus offered forgiveness, she received forgiveness. And when Jesus asks the question, woman, where are your accusers? Naturally, we think about those that were standing around her, but I got news for you, friend. She was looking at Jesus when she gave the answer. She's looking at the Lord. No man, Lord, neither do I condemn you. Did you, did, did, did you catch John 3.17 while ago? The Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That woman understood it. Could I say to you today, people are going to walk in that door. They're going to walk in possibly your door at your home, and you're going to present the love of Jesus Christ to them, and they're going to understand it. They might not have any knowledge concerning the Word of God. But everybody, I don't care how dumb you are, everybody understands love. You know why? Because God wired us that way. God made us that way. A lot of things we don't understand in life. A lot of, lot of questions we don't have answers for. I can tell you one thing, friend. You can, you can know this. You can put it in the bank. No matter who you are, where you are, what you're walking through right now, I can, I can promise you. My grandpa used to say it this way. I can double guarantee you. And that meant you put it in the bank. God loves you. And his desire... He loves you so much He wants to spend forever. Get this now. With you. You might look in the mirror and you might consider yourself the lowest of lows. Homely and unintelligent. A failure in so many senses of the word. But then when you consider how Father God sees you, sees you with eyes of love and he says child you're just how I made you to be and I'm not willing that you ever perish I've got to close John chapter 13 verse 35 Jesus is ready to leave his disciples he's preparing them for the time when he transitions to heaven through his death on the cross and they are left behind and he says by this shall everybody know that you're my disciples that you're my followers not what you preach not how you how you walk how you talk not how you reminisce and talk about the days when I walked with the Lord physically no 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 he said by this they're going to know that you have love one to another. And I want to take that a step further, friend. Not just our love for one another in the church, but our love for one another no matter where we go. Our love for people. I remember, Brother Bill will remember this when we, 
we went one day. Sister Rhoda had uh, scheduled us a, a an event over in Alma, Arkansas. We went over there. The drama team were, was going to minister uh, with Lyndall Cooley from the Brownsville Revival. Lyndall had called and and said, uh, "Brother Rick, will you bring the will you bring the drama team over?" And I talked to Sister Rhoda. She said, "You bet. We'll be excited to go." And we went. We went to this place, and the host pastor that was hosting that conference that that, that Lyndall was uh, was uh, presiding over was an elderly gentleman. Brother Goins was his name. Uh, tall, probably eighty-something-year-old gentleman. Obviously, gray hair and steely blue eyes. Remember that. I walked in that church. And that man walked up to me. said, are you Pastor Stout? Yes, I am. And that man kissed me. Right there. Didn't kiss me on the mouth. Kissed me on the cheek. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I played a little high school football. And that took me back for a moment. I knew the word said, greet one another with a holy kiss. I had never experienced it prior to that. But I have to tell you, I looked up at that man. He was taller than me. He embraced me and he kissed me on the cheek. And that was the closest thing this side of heaven. I've ever experienced to look into the eyes of Jesus. My Lord, that man loved everybody. I stepped back and I got to watch it. I wasn't the only one that got kissed. Everybody that walked through that door. An elderly pastor wrapped his arms around them and kissed him on the cheek and said, I'm so glad you're here. May God bless you today. Tell you something, it changed me. You might not be called upon to kiss somebody. Here in Bubbaville, you might freak somebody totally out and you might get your jaw slapped if you kiss somebody unannounced. But here's what I say to you. When they look in your eyes, May they see Jesus. Not condemnation. I said it. We're all sinners. We've all messed up multiple times in our life. I shared a while ago about the work in progress. Guess what, honey? Every single one of us are works in process, including the preacher. You're not where you're headed. You ain't got there yet, but thank God you're not where you was. We're a work in progress. Thank you, Jesus, for the love you've shown us. May we show it to others. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I know you're in the house. I sense your presence, Lord, and I ask that you would wrap your arms around that individual, whoever they might be, Lord, you see. You see where they are, Lord. You see the struggles. You've heard the questions. Even when they've said, Lord, if this is really you, would you show me? 
And I know you patiently wait for your word says you stand at the door and knock and you wait on us to open the door and let you in. I ask you, Lord, to speak to the one, whether they be the one that's cast at your feet or they be the one that's in the crowd watching. May we see you and may we see your great love that you've extended to us. That's our prayer and our plea today. I ask that you deal with hearts and lives and you draw people to you, Jesus. We ask it now. If you're in this house today, friend, without the Lord, I want to invite you to come right here, right now. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to delay. I will promise you I won't kiss you on the cheek. But I will promise you this. I'll do my best to show you Jesus. Jesus.